there, and welcome to The Recommendation Game, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen, we watch it separately, and then we Skype to discuss it. I am Orla McGuinness, joined by... Ricardo Deacon. This week's film is The Long Goodbye from 1973. There's a long goodbye And it happens every day Detective Philip Marlowe helps his friend Terry Lennox get to the Mexican border late one night. When he makes his way back home, he finds police waiting for Terry, who has murdered his own wife. The film was directed by Robert Altman, produced by Elliot Kastner and Jerry Bick. Screenplay by Lee Brackett, based on The Long Goodbye by Raymond Chandler, starring Elliot Gould, Nina Van Palant and Sterling Hayden. Music by John Williams. Cinematography by multiple repeat offender Vilno Sigmund and edited by Lou Lombardo. So, this week's film was picked by Ricardo in the final yes. part of his noir trifecta. We've made it all the way to 1973. Ricardo, why did you pick this movie? Well, okay, for one, I'm curious to see if this one landed better than the <laughs> other two. Because I think that. One like, for three. <laughs> yes, at the moment, but also like. Uh, Perhaps, like, because I think that you uh, like Kiss Me Deadly more than the, uh-huh. the Bad Sleep Well. Hard to say. Hard to okay, say. Okay, so uh, mm-hmm. that's the... Uh, like, I'm curious to see where you, you sit in this one. But, like, of the three, I think it, this is my favorite one of the three movies. I think it's a far more accomplished movie than the other two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a far more interesting movie as well with what it does in the... And the genre in itself, that's why I picked it. Uh, it's one of the best deconstructions of a genre, but at the same time, working within the genre mm-hmm. and not uh, not being a parody, but highlighting the flaws inherent to the, the genre, be it like the voiceover, the, mm-hmm. the tit-a-tat dialogue, the abuse of women in the... In, in the movies for pure uh, shock value <laughs> yeah the like the movie actually makes a point to highlight this kind of thing to to pinpoint the flaws i think also considering how like most quote-unquote hardball guys and also uh this is based on a raymond chandler movie uh, book chandler the, the best you can say about him mm-hmm. personally is that he was a man of his time. Mm-hmm. And the worst <laughs> that you can say is that he was a racist anti-Semite. So I think casting Elliot Gould, a Jewish man, in the role of uh, Philip Marlowe is a like, nice you know, slap on the face. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, like much lesser than, let's say, fucking Taika Waititi, a Maori Jew playing Hitler. Plus... <laughs> Of course you can. I love also Elio Gould's take on the character. That, like, it just makes him into a fucking loser. But also, like, it's like a loser <laughs> that you like. It, it's amazing also uh, watching it nowadays. Like, the the twist ending or whatever it is. Like, I really liked the movie throughout. Like, but the ending was really controversial when the movie came out. And it's really hard to be 
to realize how controversial it was watching it with the eyes of somebody from 2020 uh, because he shoots him he shoots or... an uh, he shoots an unarmed man that is not attacking him or whatever that the, your protagonist just does like cold like just coldly murder somebody like i no... like to take it that he's just a bit fed up and is like i didn't enjoy that well guys just yeah but I'm like it's a, it's cold murder like that's From a, like, a hapless but up to this point fairly pleasant protagonist and uh, i i fuck it like i love everything about like the performances as well like i think that throughout what we were mentioning about in kiss me deadly like that this movie again the, it does it comments on the flaws of the genre but at the same time it partakes on mm-hmm. the good parts of the genre like the amount of like memorable character actors uh mm-hmm. things that are like the guy that plays harry the the guy that follows him and Elliot Gould is like helping him follow him. Listen, Harry, in case you lose me in traffic, this is the address where I'm going. You Thank look you. great. Harry, I would straighten your tire. Yeah. Harry, I'm proud to have you following me. But also there's a, a Miyazaki movie that the main character that is based on the a comic book and the comic book artist used that guy as his uh, starting point for the main character of the hapless gangster of, <laughs> of that. Like it's He's uh, a bit Fredo, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. But like even like way lower down in the the command, let's say, like he's mm-hmm. like the, uh, as low as you can get. Like it's so cartoonish, almost like Looney Tunes, where he tries to hop over the fucking fence, and Marlo <laughs> and just opens. opens the door. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Altman has always been great about picking memorable actors, and it's no coincidence that in so many of his movies, they're like really early roles for actors that will go on to have like big careers, like in this. The two examples are Keith Carradine and fucking Schwarzenegger. Oh my god! Wait, hold on. Schwarzenegger is the guy with the mustache that, like, uh, would they take Is that actually? Oh my god! I looked around, I was like, he looks like Schwarzenegger, and then I was like, I'm just typecasting all bodybuilders, and I was like, no, he actually was. That's hilarious. Straight from the gym, like, such a Bobby. Oh my god, that's so funny. He has like a like a little Rodney mustache on him as well, and I love it as well because it's that scene whenever they're ta- they're all taking their shirts off because of the the weird gangster and uh, Schwarzenegger is so excited taking his shirt off like everybody else is still fumbling with their buttons like he's already in his underwear like it's amazing it's just in the background. And then you also have uh, Keith Carradine or David Carradine. Always David Carradine, yeah. Yeah, that like he's in the in the jail in the beginning of the movie. Uh, but I, like again, it's uh, what I was saying the, about how specific each character is in the in, in the movie in the way that all best noir films are because noir movies are very similar to road movies that you're going from like moment to moment to moment to moment because you're just jumping around mm. so you require clue, like, clue, clue, clue. exactly so you require like memorable characters so you remember who each person is when you say a name you know like when they say augustine when he shows up like uh and he's doing like a roman polanski impression <laughs> 
like in his dress as Polanski, and then you're like, oh my god, he is so Polanski. Minor crime, a misdemeanor to kill your wife. The major crime is he stole my money. Your friend stole my money, and the penalty for that is capital punishment. You have like all these kind of things going on, and then you have like the amazing cinematography, uh, um. Vilmos mm -hmm. and the really jazzy score of John Williams in his first yeah. uh, uh, score that he did uh, and I love the theme like the long goodbye theme that like how it pops in everywhere that is like when Different he's in Mexico versions. it's like yeah. the mariachi and then when he's in the piano bar the guy's like trying to to figure out how to play it and stuff uh, and it's like all those little details that like even things that any other filmmaker would seem like excessive, like the the bit about the neighbors being like uh, always <laughs> naked and stuff. It actually has a very particular reason to be there. And I think that like, oh, oh, I'll elaborate with that later on, like when we go into discussion of the movie, but there's a lot about Hollywood and about new Hollywood in this movie as a concept and mm. how it compares to the 40s and the idea of like a change uh, of guard let's say that like we're different filmmakers like we killed the the guy at the end of the movie and then we get my protagonist to dance like with people in the middle of the street I love Robert Altman. They, even in the movies that, like, there are movies like Nashville that people really like that I don't particularly like. Uh, and then there's other movies like Godfather Park and fucking like McCabe and Mrs. Miller and stuff that I think that are simply masterpieces. His movies are so raggedy, and I think it it, it suits this so well because like. From the opening, I think it's one of the best tone setting openings in any movie ever. Like, just having like Philip Marlowe try to fix his cat, like, like cream cheese and egg dinner. Oh, the cat's hungry, right, right. Oh, did I lock you out of the kitchen? I'll fix your dinner just as soon as I get me a smoke. And then his cat leaves him and never comes back. It's like it's not a plot quite, point or anything. I was quite sad about the cat not coming back. <laughs> it's one of those movies, like I think we've discussed before, that, like it hides the message, especially when it comes to like violence towards women and stuff, that it's like really making a comment about uh, how bad that is underlying, uh, that even like the so-called femme fatales are usually like played in the movies the mm. either the villain or the hero wins against the film the femme fatale it's the final twist but in this is kind of like you still are operating within the mode so there is a femme fatale but for one there's never like a moment that the main character kisses her or whatever that is like completely separated so when you take that He's out... quite asexual, really. Like, which is quite funny. <laughs> yeah, like, in, the, in like he's very uh, single-minded about what to do. But, like, he's both efficient and shaggy kind of thing. Which, <laughs> like, it's really, like, a good... Uh, 
analog for the film itself. The, like the bits, like it, the bits that are like, for one, I think that the it, this movie has like before I forget one of the best impressions. Like your man oh, doing the guy, fucking the, yeah, the guy the that gate. is in Rio Bravo. What can I do for you? Following that car. No cars out there. That big sagebrush and a few covered wagons. You friend of my boy, Bill? What? I left Billy out there on the, on the flat lines to die. I'm gonna get him. How was that? How was what? My imitation of Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan? Yeah, he said... Oh, never mind. Go ahead. And it's so fucking spot on. <laughs> like, it's genius. But so beside the point, that even like the, the, the weird like moments that are like... Nowadays, you wouldn't put on cinema because it's like not really well shot. Like when he starts chasing the car, and he's like, "This yeah. is what I'm." It's just so like it's memorably. He's like a boy silly. scout. It's ridiculous. It's so like he's very actually. <laughs> we'll get into how many things that this reminded me of, but just in that, he's very Harry in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang of the like hapless running after things. So, like, uh, without further ado, what did you think of the the long goodbye? Hopefully, uh, it's uh, in better stead than the other two. Otherwise, the noir triple bill was more of a dud. <laughs> than, uh... A triple dud. Um, well, I am happy to report that you left the best for last. Da, da, yes. da. Uh, my goodness, did I miss the 1970s. Uh, <laughs> take me home. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I've just, I haven't been, I'm going in and out of phases of, of like a big, you know, 1970s-a-thon and I don't know if maybe it's been a little while or with everything going on and I needed the, the, the warm comfort of the sepia tones and <laughs> the overarching paranoia of the era. Um, yeah, Robert Altman is, uh, he's kind of funny character. He's like, uh, I kind of I feel like the weight like you talk a little bit about influence there like the the influence of his like output on like New Hollywood and like all the years afterwards and yet this is the only one of his films I've seen uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny because I was watching it and I was like I recognize so much of this and I was like but I haven't seen MASH I haven't seen like uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, like, I don't even really know why. Um, it's quite funny. I've been watching um, A Decade Under the Influence. Uh, yeah. Have you seen that? The, like, three-part doc uh, from, I think, 2003. <laughs> it's so badly made. It's, like, interlaced. There's something very, very, like, particular about watching, like, clips from, like, movies like this or The Godfather or, like, you know, a lot of movies shot from this era that are masterpieces cinematography-wise and seeing them interlaced. Oh, it is... <laughs> it is special. Oh, God. Um, it, God, it's really badly made. Like, the interviews and... It is a fucking bro-a-thon as well. It's a backslapping, incredibly uncritical of the era. Aren't, weren't we all just fucking class? Uh, but at the same time, it is such an interesting era. And like all the movies they talk about are class and Robert Altman's in it. And because it's 2003, a lot of them are still alive as well. Because like, like Dennis Hopper's there talking about how he was an asshole, which doesn't really excuse him from being an asshole. But... Um, Lamp <laughs> oh god yes uh, in spades um 
I was, it's surprising actually how much, like having watched that, um, like I think, did I get through all three parts? I can't remember, but um, Elliot Gould turns up a lot. Uh, and this is obviously our second uh, go around with him because he's in uh, Little Murders as well. Um, but uh, he's in like, because he's in MASH, um, but he's in like a lot of other films and he shows up as kind of uh, one of the actors of the era who are like counter to, you know, golden age of Hollywood and handsome, like Bogart, all that. And it's more like charisma through just like general character acting instead of like, you know, I love Elliot Gould, but he's not like a handsome leading man. Um, I did see a wonderful description of his character in this as a chain-smoking Jewish Don Quixote. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, Elliot Gould is so funny to me because um, my first introduction to him that I really remember is Ocean's Eleven because I had that movie on DVD. Like it was one of the first movies I was ever bought on DVD when I was like, I like films now, uh, where he plays Reuben and just chews scenery all around him. You're out of your goddamn minds. Are you listening to me? You're both of you nuts. I know more about casino security than any man alive. I invented it and it cannot be beaten. They got cameras, they got watches, they got locks, they got timers, they got vaults. They got enough armed personnel to occupy Paris. Okay, bad example. It's funny to watch him as like young and lanky and, and like, you know, muttering to himself. Um, Natasha Lyonne cites this movie and also the character as played by Elliot Gould, not the book, uh, as a really big inspiration for a Russian doll. And I just, when we were talking about the cat earlier, I was like, she has a cat as well. And there's a whole thing for like feeding the cat and going to get cat food. And the store, the, like the, the bodega she goes to all the time. And like, even the idea of her, like there's no narration. There's just her muttering to herself all the time. And I was like, that's so perfect. Uh, the other thing I thought of a lot was inherent vice. Like yeah, when you with the, he's in the the fucking uh, the drug rehabilitation center. Yes, like, that's exactly the same. Oh my god! I was like, oh my god! This is somehow giving me less respect for <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. So I'm like, so much of this movie is like lifted from that movie. Even where he lives as well. Like he lives down on the beach. It's like, oh, or well, he doesn't live on the beach, but like the other the what's her name, like living down on the beach. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously. That's a movie that leans very heavily on like the imagery of LA and like, you know, the sort of meandering kind of ridiculous plot. Um, but uh, also a movie that has an awful lot of like satire and humor in it as well. Like I rewatched the trailer for that and I was like, man, I get that movie so much more now than I did when I watched it in the cinema. <laughs> I like Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I did think of, um, I was trying to compare these to... Um, uh, the other two noirs that we did and I did get a little bit of my camera in there and the kind of like being in way over your head <laughs> as well but um uh yeah cinematography wise like um it's our third it's our third Volno Sigmund movie after um Scarecrow, Scarecrow. yeah and uh I can't fuck what's the other one I can't remember the one but it's our, it's our third movie anyways but um uh, yeah, I feel like it's either like Gordon Willis or, or Vilna Sigmund, um, but they they did, uh, there's a technique called um, f like where you flash the negative, which because I'm going to read you this uh, quote from Vilna's, because um, the, the negatives at the time is like 
like film was becoming faster and clearer and the colors were becoming more saturated and stuff so he's like because <laughs> they wanted it to look like a 40s or 50s movie they wanted to have like that kind of uh <laughs> the problem is that the 5254 color negative is too good it's too saturated it's too perfect it corrects for mistakes in nature a blue sky is never that blue a yellow flower never that yellow lamented vilnos <laughs> so what you do is you you flash you flash the negative which adds like kind of a haze to it and like perfections um which is obviously also very taken from what robert elswith did with um inherent vice because they he had like they managed to source negatives that were sitting in someone's garage from the 70s so a lot of it was heat damaged and like that most of that film is 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 in camera like issues let's say they're yeah. not it's not flair added afterwards like a lot of it is in the color and everything like that's why that movie looks so great and because robert elswood is great but um interesting actually because that year he did inherent vice and um nightcrawler to another movie very uh influenced by uh its landscape of la but um yeah i actually have been watching uh what do you call it la or sorry sorry los angeles plays itself this is the city, Los Angeles, California. They make movies here. I live here. Sometimes I think that gives me the right to criticize the way movies depict my city. I know it's not easy. The city's big. The image is small. It's funny, I started watching it before I watched this for the podcast, and then I went back and I was like, hold on, this movie is in that movie an awful lot. <laughs> um, you've seen Los Angeles Play. Yeah, yeah, song. like I've seen it, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's like Even the way that it's like the phone it. numbers and stuff are fake and stuff. It's so glorious. It's funny, I was thinking about it. It's like, it even has like the narration. It's kind of like a noir in itself and the like... <laughs> the way he narrates so deadpan over it. It's so good. But, um... Yeah, like, obviously because this movie reminds me of so many movies that are also mentioned in that movie. So he talked a lot about the live and die in L.A., but even, like, the location where, like, he lives down on the beach, uh, which also reminds me of this. Apparently, the beach house was Elfman's actual apartment. <laughs> so it's like... What? A malleable colony, yeah. But it's all... But it, they're, every single part of this is on location. There's not a single soundstage um, element, which is very, very apparent. But what I love about um, Los Angeles Plays itself is that it's such a, like, critique, but also, like, love letter to, play, like, parts. Even it being made... That's It's, like, what, 2001? It's even itself, and the, the things that he shoots is, like, um, a, like, capturing things, like, elements of the city that no longer exist like in each era something new changes and like LA is such a weird kind of combination of like Spanish architecture and like it's so interesting I did actually think of um uh Bonwell a bit as well and you know how I don't like doing math um <laughs> but like not in a bad way especially in the like um uh the the farce of it so like the, the weird kind of social situations and, and like when they're drinking on the beach and they're all hammered and the police are there and it's so like just bizarre and like Elliot Gould and you kind of think that like oh he's gonna hold it together because he's our protagonist it's like no he's hammered he's Mike hammered um, <laughs> but um yeah like the Hemingway character gets really tiresome really quickly um 
And I know, like, the film knows that he's tiresome and is, like, making a comment on, on this kind of, like, acerbic character and how he's really just a loser, but he starts to get really annoying really quickly so that when he actually walks into the sea, you're kind of glad. Um, but that scene, like, oh my god, the shot where there's so much where like the camera starts to drift somewhere else to show you something so when they're having the conversation at the window and he's like start starting to work out what her actual involvement is and what she really knows and the camera's like not interested in that anymore just like slowly starts peering through and you you see the figure on the beach and you're like oh my god who the hell is that that's so creepy he's like a fucking specter and then he's just like you see it's actually his back and he's walking into the sea and then them going in and the massive dog and the dog coming out with the cane and it's like oh my god the imagery is so striking it's like fucking hell um i didn't realize that this was Vilma's sigmund um but i did think whenever we had um the bad sleep well i didn't i i thought that would be the most memorable visually but this is so striking like it really is like uh, just from every element of it like even how his apartment block is shot and it's oh it's so well done oh yeah like in the um, Coming to that Sterling Hayden thing, I do agree that it is uh, perhaps slightly overdone, but at the same time, yeah. I think that considering when they came out, is that usually like I think it's very particular that uh, they picked Sterling Hayden to play the character because he played mm. so many B movie tough guys <laughs> before. So I think it's precisely for that reason that he is the guy because mm -hmm. it's not only a comment to like the comparison between Sterling Hayden, the, the idea of the macho man of the forties mm -hmm. to Elliot Gould, the idea of like a fucking loser any time in the year. Like, uh, <laughs> not like, not Elliot Gould in general. I mean, like he's playing yeah. Marlowe as a loser. I think it's a comment also that is like your heroes don't need to be, the coolest guy in the block you know they just need to be the most interesting character in the movie and mm -hmm. i think that it's an argument that the movie does well but also i think that considering there is sterling hayden and also that for most audience members at the era like they would side with that character i suppose mm. because like the masculinity especially the audience is going to see like a modern noir in the 70s mm -hmm. it'd be like yeah, that's the type of man that I like kind of thing. So it's like deconstructing yeah. it one step at a time and also kind of giving it enough room to think that the guy is going to change and get a hold of himself and be a part of the mm. movie besides the little part that he's in. I think is why he keeps going because you're just expecting him to give like a nugget of wisdom. Like, <laughs> you know, like to... Like a moment of sobriety that suddenly like he he's the wise man, the the guy with the cojones and he's gonna the make wise the 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 connection and he's gonna break the case and that's it. Because he's the man mm. or something or he's gonna yeah. team up or something and it never happens and then like he just Jones. And yeah, so like I think the in a way it's a comment on that. So like uh, it is perhaps like a little tired but at the same time because Hayden plays him so well it becomes like mm. a real human being I think that is like an annoying guy but it's not like a character that is not meant to be annoying you know what I mean <laughs> yeah like, you you get what the movie's trying to do with him it's funny like especially after having watched this film like we'll get to the female characters because 
that's another element of it. But um, oh, I've watched this particularly in comparison to Perry Mason. No, I haven't finished Perry Mason, so I can't like fully comment. Let's say, but what I watched of like that character is so based on like a forties character as opposed, but in a like not quite a lampshady way but also kind of a lampshady way of the like hard drinking and what i like about this is that the only time you ever see elliot gould actually like drunk he doesn't even really want to be and when he's drinking with sterling hayden he's like oh oh okay oh. you know like he is he's he's, and he's a trying to he's be not... the, the he's tries to be the tough guy saying the tough line yeah. that is like oh i'll drink whatever you're having and yeah. then you're, you're, <laughs> he's like oh caraway <laughs> seeds he's like <laughs> drinking it's like is this made out of caraway seeds and your man is like looks like you've been around the block more than once and i was like yeah you'd be surprised or whatever like you can really tell that it it, like it almost feels like you know when there's somebody that is like 18 trying to act like he's 22 kind of thing and you get the the vibe and i think that it is quite endearing like he plays marlon in a very endearing way i keep calling him a loser but i mean it in a very like heartwarming way because He's Jewish Don Quixote. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the only, like... Uh, it's funny, actually, you're going to end up mentioning um, uh, Mad Men again. If only because I, I really love the generational thing of Mad Men and how Don Draper is always so much a man of the 50s. And, like, when you compare him then to Megan and her, she's, like, you know, the modern woman. She's, like the 70s hollywood like she's she's the women dancing on the balcony and like marlo is like draper even though he's like i'm assuming younger than draper is at this point you know he's 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 like he's even he's he's younger and yet playing older he's from like a different you know this like weird i i think that like he, he like i think you struck the nail in the head in a way but i disagree with a complete interpretation let's say but I, uh, I think that Marlo is straddling that line that you mentioned. And mm-hmm. I think that the movie makes it clear by the fact that he interacts with his neighbors. Because, like, I think that they're... He's inti- not shocked. But, like, they're intended to be sirens, but not in a sexual way. Sirens of, like, the new age, the modern mm-hmm. world, the weirdness of embracing this kind of not only women like i mean like society in general and i think that's why so many of the other characters when they go to his apartment just look at them and they just want to keep looking and go there but they can't go there they can't talk Mm -hmm. to them because if they do they'll be sucked into this world because it's more welcoming exactly and there's so many shots of people like with binoculars looking at them or getting distracted looking at them and it's almost like that's the world that you can be you can like move on with the times you can come with us like we'll help you along you know we're welcoming <laughs> come like, play with us danny and like marlo is almost like in the middle that he's able to like talk to them and like he's almost there but like he won't yeah. take part you know like you buy the brownie mix but not eat it <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's I'm buying that and like the cool thing with the cat food, it's so funny. But like that's the but I think it, that's what I was saying about Robert Allman, like just hiding <laughs> messages in the movie that is like any other director would just be like gratuitous that is like there's no production code anymore, so we can show 
random tits anywhere. But it's also not sexualized the way that they shoot them naked. Mm. Which is very rare for the 70s or whatever. The characters are acting at like it's something sexualized. But the film is not. They're less yeah. sexualized than every female character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That it's like they're, it's like they're just there on their topless. But it's mm. not like, you know, it's not the kind of movie that you go like, oh my God, they just saw... It's not made that way, even for like a horny teenager, I wouldn't like be aroused mm-hmm. by that because it's just... They're doing yoga. Yoga, I don't know what it is, but it's yoga. And it's it's definitely like also like how so many <laughs> things they just stuck. And also like the fact that Marlo is smoking weed halfway, th- like half the movie he's smoking weed and half of it he's smoking like regular cigarettes and it never calls into attention mm. when he's doing what, like it's just... Yeah, you just notice by having like that his cigarette is a little bit skinnier kind of thing. Keel. <laughs> and I, I just love how he just like strikes matches everywhere. Like uh, safety matches so like... <laughs> It's so like I love just the the ridiculousness of the smoking as well. It's like of at any point, no matter what you were doing, no matter where you are, you can smoke. <laughs> and you will <laughs> so ridiculous but they get away with it because it's 1973 like uh, um, the the comment one comment that i had to say before i forget that there is like one scene that has an age particularly well that is when he's in the the blackface scene yeah <laughs> yeah i was looking at him and i was like wait a second because who who's he say he's who's he oh johnson yeah and i looked i was like hold on and i looked it up and i was like no Ah!" but then again it's like 1973 yeah and at the same time that there's a lot of like uh like in that scene also like uh uh, homophobic slurs but i kind of leave it away with that give the movie the benefit of the doubt because it's like a cop that is meant to be an asshole saying it and also consider mm. how asexual a ghoul is in this movie. That like there's even the hint that maybe like his relationship with Terry was uh, unrequited love. Mm. Kind he just of thing. behave like it's as if like if you replaced that character with a woman, it wouldn't seem you know any different the way he behaves yeah. about trying to find him and stuff and find out like of, of just instantly believing that there's no way that he killed his wife and yeah it's he has a real like loyalty to him which is not seen in any other character in the movie <laughs> but then kills him uh- <laughs> before uh, we run out of time like uh, you you wanted to talk about female characters yeah i like the violence in the film is very shocking um in a like not necessarily a bad way because it it, it seems like real violence if you know what i mean it's not yeah. movie violence it feels like uh, not necessarily gratuitous it's like a, 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 like officially shocking in a, in a scene that's very jarring as well of how he describes her and it's it's yeah it, it's quite creepy um I mean, as well, like we do have a lack of a real female character in this. Of there's, the, you know, there's a lack of agency in the women. Let's say. I mean, like, I'm saying that, like, the wife character of Hemingway, considering the era, because I thought a lot about Scarecrow and how the female characters in that were like very hard done by, um, and 
I, this is not egregious is how I would put it, especially when you compare it to like so many other movies of this time. Uh, my take on it uh, 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 is twofold because I think that there's like two things to comment about when it comes to women and the long goodbye. One mm-hmm. is uh, uh, violence committed towards women because most of the violence in the movie is mm-hmm. towards women. But I think that the movie is doing that on purpose in a way, commenting in the way that even to make it as like it it tries to make it as blatant and obvious as possible in the scene of the Coke bottle, that it makes no sense in the scene for the character to do it. So because he calls attention to it, that is like, oh, hurt her over you as a threat kind of thing. And it's completely Mm -hmm. unnecessary. The movie could be be done without it, but it makes it so shocking because it's so unnecessary that then you think, mm. why is it in the movie? And then you start thinking, but why is it in other movies? Like they just put a line mm. of dialogue usually to make it okay kind of thing. And even like the fact that uh, Gold believes, oh, he couldn't have had killed his wife. And then it's like, yeah, like people do that. Like people that you don't right. believe will Flippantly do it, kind well. of thing, and then his, oh god, his explanation for it is so like oh she just wouldn't shut up or whatever, and you're like ah yeah, but clearly it's like a case of like an abusive relationship as well, mm. so it's like the escalation of not. I think it's a heavy comment also that a lot of the times when there are people in abusive relationships, you don't even know that they're in an abusive relationship because. It, 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 it happens behind closed yeah. doors they're not going out and getting in fights every week they're not the like Hemingway character who's like exactly so I think it's the mm. comment of having the Hemingway character so to show like the balance that you can have one and you can have the other and I think it's particularly important that like Gould gets it wrong all the way that mm. also the fact that like the Hemingway character did beat his wife kind of thing so he's not given a and out either but also is that you don't know if it was him that hit her or if it was Lennox mm. but it's like that both are capable capable of doing it so like it gives a message of the type of men that gold is involved with but also is that gold co- is always disgusted by the idea of violence against women and as mm. the main character is really important for that because in most noirs the main character is the first one to slap a woman for information or something you know or it's just a side thing that he witnesses and doesn't do anything by it uh, yeah like or even when you he... should have just said no yeah you don't know what the word no means do you it's like oh fuck off my camera <laughs> and then the, you also have the the fact that uh, when it comes on the on the other side of the spectrum, when it comes to agency, I think that it's also a movie that gives the female character, the main female character, pay by Van Polant, as she is the one with the most agency in the entire movie. She planned the whole fucking thing. She mm. did everything. She killed her husband and made him commit suicide by knowing, understanding how to break him. So she could inherit the money to go to live with Tony Lennox in Mexico after she probably told him to kill his wife so he could they could go because Tony Lennox is also a fucking loser who changes his name to Tony Lennox because his name is not cool enough. 
you know like it's so like I forgot about the name change oh I my think God. that that's like so important because it makes everybody like trying to be cool you know like the villains or whatever and the only one that like knows what she's doing not pretending not like being over emotional or uh overreacting or whatever is or screaming and people's neck it's her like it's her and i think that her performance that like the second time and third time that you watch it whenever you know what's going on mm. you realize that she's playing marlo like a fucking fiddle and it's just like yeah she and also it's like an interesting comment that the movie is giving the character with the most agency but she seems like there's no agency because everything of agency is off screen yeah but it's still in the character so i I, I think that the comment is there and the performance is largely good. I think that the, the... I do. I think she was really good, yeah. Yeah, like I think that uh, just in the messaging, if there is a certain level in the movie, is that she's perhaps too enigmatic. So like, uh, mm. so it kind of gets lost how much she's playing him or not kind of thing because... But at the same time, it's like, I don't know how to perform it other way because it's so mm. subtle and great. But uh, it's I, I suppose I'm getting to the argument that it's like, should a movie work the best on its first viewing or in its second viewing? Especially a movie of that time that is like, do you have to like, you, you watch it once and at the time you didn't know that TV would exist, that video <laughs> would exist. You know, it just yeah. went out of circulation. And it's like, remember that movie existed? Like, yeah. <laughs> and then you had to go to, like, the the middle of nowhere, like, fucking Minnesota and, like, like, shitville Minnesota to watch it in, like, a scratched-up negative that has been, like, traveling the world and it has, like, fucking Spanish subtitles on it because it's, it's the only one that you can find. Uh... Any closing thoughts before? Uh... Oh, like I'm very glad that you, that you enjoyed it because the other two were movies that like I I like, uh, but I know also the limitations of those movies. That's why like I yeah. picked them, but it, like in the way it was more. I was interested in the conversation that we were gonna have rather than picking a movie for the sake of being a good movie, and I suppose yeah. that that's why I. I knew that if I had to pick one of the three would be picking this one. But also I, I think that it does help a lot to this movie to have the context of film noir really fresh in your mind. Yeah. Uh, no, I did appreciate that. Because it's it's a parody without being a parody. It's a satire without being a satire. It works in itself, but outside itself. And mm. I think that like... Like what you were saying, I think the, like it does really make a difference that Lee Brackett uh, wrote it because even though it is still very much a film of its time that it's like focusing on men and stuff like that, but at the same time, it, it still refuses to cross a line the, the same way that Rio Bravo doesn't or The Big Sleep doesn't. The, mm. She's able to operate within the, the limits of filmmaking For at genre. that time. But also without making it like, you know, like Rio Bravo has like John Wayne with somebody that is like 20 years old and it doesn't feel seedy because <laughs> they're like characters. Oh, wow. I've forgotten about Rio Bravo. Because she is like a character. That, oh, yeah, yeah. Like that movie is amazing. Like uh, Rio Bravo is one of the greatest screenplays. Uh, it's the 
best slow movie ever it's a hangout movie like <laughs> fucking three hours of just hanging out with cool characters purple in the canyon that's where I long to be with my three good companions just my rifle Like, it's so good that fucking John Hawks uh, fucking made three versions of the movie, all with John Wayne. It's like, what's the point? But they're all interesting in itself. Uh, it's Rio Bravo, Rio Lobo, and El Dorado. Uh, it's like, even the titles, it's like, just, I'm not even pretending that it's not the, the same movie. But when it comes to this, is the that that effect because I know that like the the worst part of a lot of his films of this time, including like Marsh is by far the the biggest problem in there. It's when it deals with comedy because like it hasn't aged well at all when it comes to like sexual politics and stuff like that. It's the thing also to understand about Altman that he still was heavily flawed and a product of his time. But I think with the combination of bracket, considering the, I think the two best movies of his time, of this time that he did is McCabe and Mrs. Miller and The Long Goodbye. And mm. both are uh, balanced by uh, a female influence. In the case of McCabe and Mrs. Miller, it's Julie Christie's performance who like elevates the material in a way that is not there in the writing. And it makes it so much more. You know, she it becomes McCabe and Mrs. Miller rather than McCabe and Mrs. Miller. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> well in this the the, the female influence that uh, balances is Lee Brackett and her script that it, it allows him to operate in this macho world without overstepping to an uncomfortable zone. And I think mm -hmm. that it, it makes it a, an interesting movie in a lot of ways and even when it comes to New Age and stuff. And I'm glad that you liked it because also like it's, in fairness, it's a, a movie in the 70s. It's kind <laughs> of like a, a free swing most of the time. Yeah, this had a lot going for it. <laughs> um, it really did. <laughs> any final thoughts from yourself before we move on to... I don't know. I did really enjoy it. Like, I uh, I watched it on Friday, and um, I was actually quite tired, and I was like, mm, I was like, but it kind of it, it buoyed me up, let's say. Um, I just, I, I liked being in the world of this movie. It wasn't quite as, like, quite as, like, seedy and depressing as something like Chinatown was, which I kind of appreciated. And because Elliot Gould is such a, like, endearing presence, <laughs> you kind of, like, you're sort of, like, carried along with him as, like, he feels like such a different character for a movie like this, which I quite appreciated. But, uh, no, I did really like it. I did, I did. What was your favourite thing? Probably... It's like a joint between Elliot Gould's character and his performance and the cinematography. Um, I, I just like, there is something so like, like I was saying, like just kind of following along with him, like the whole opening scene of the cat food and like, it's just, it's pure comedy, but it's 
like I would watch just a whole movie of him kind of tottering about his block, you know, yeah. <laughs> like just the like little interactions that he has where he's muttering to himself where uh, someone's at like uh, getting their post and he's like, oh, you know, I'll wait until you're done. And he's like going out with his trash and it's and the interactions that he has in like the store and the wandering around and like it's it's why your mind that is like i don't have a cat because i have a girlfriend (laughs) but then they see each other again the prison and it's so like there's just oh i really there's a lack of like you know look how cool this is look how cool this guy's life is and you're like no not really he's not really he doesn't even really interact with anybody he's that cool everyone's kind of shit there's a (laughs) there's a heavy hint also that he's squatting there because it's like a metal door and he opens it with a it's like a padlock (laughs) it's all a bit it's all about kind of abandoned motel as well it's it's it like there's a red like a kind of a love and reverence like you can tell that Altman lives in LA as well like it has a real of, of like a, a reverence for the place but not a like movie reverence for like Hollywood it's La La Land you know it, the, the, the colors are, are sort of like different let's say but uh, yeah I just I loved like just kind of wandering around with him and you know going from place to place and even when he's like at the hospital and he keeps like all the different like little uh all the different uh pi little movements that he has where he's like walking through the garden or whatever and he's like oh i need to give a book to uh what's his name or have you seen what's his name or uh heals me money <laughs> it's like all these little things that it reminds me of like again veronica myers because that's you know such a like modern touchstone yeah but he did, like he half-firstly <laughs> does like he's just like i have a book i have a book and like he's clearly like sort of good at his job i suppose whereas like the thing about veronica mars is that she's like flawed but the show doesn't really think she is <laughs> so it's like she's got trauma but that's kind of it whereas in this like there's plenty of things he does where you're like you're good but also which again kind of makes me think of um not harry in kiss kiss bang bang but uh what's his name uh uh gay perry yeah, yeah, yeah. like he's he's more like perry anyway because perry's like good at his job but also like you know makes mistakes <laughs> and then it's like what's going on like uh, uh and you had to say that the doctor in this movie the in the rehabilitation <laughs> center looks like a fucked up harvey Keitel. He does. He's got the same, like, forehead or something. Weird. He's like a smaller version of Harvey Keitel. Yeah, like, it's like somebody hit him with a mallet <laughs> over the head. Uh, he just shrunk like a cartoon, like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Like fucking Scooby-Doo or something. What's your favorite thing? Uh, my favorite thing is how small this movie is. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I just love how it, it just knows... How big it needs to be like there's no helicopter shots no dolly shots no steady cam it's like tripod padding like the heaviest you have is like when he's running and the camera's like in the back of a car or something but it's like really really small and like you said like i didn't know that that it's like oh yeah it was shot in robert Altman's place that he was renting or anything i love it it feels like a student film in the best way you know like sometimes you go oh this movie feels like a student film this one feels like a student film, but in the best way, when it's just like, I'm just gonna go for big ideas, big everything, 
fuck the system, fuck everything. You know, like this kind of like idealistic. Everything good about everything good about New Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, and but at the same time, it's so small, like, uh, and it's not calling attention to itself. That it's like something that I really appreciate. That it's not like even Mean Streets. That is like a similar, like it's probably lower budget, but Scorsese mm-hmm. is trying to make like a calling card. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is the movie or whatever, but, like, for... This is, like, post McCabe and Mrs. Miller for Altman. He's already established or whatever. He could have made this movie way bigger than it is or whatever, like... Could so, have been more 80s than this. He could have made, like, an action scene in the movie. Like, how many movies have you seen that there's, like, no big fights, no big arguments, no big... Like, the, the, the closest thing to the action scene is, like, one guy, like mildly jogging behind the convertible for a while and then the other one is that like some figures ignores him and then like some figures walk into the sea and fall in the waves but the camera's like really far back and you just see like the desperation and that's it and i'm like how do you get away like making a movie that is this small but so effective Mm -hmm. at the same time this is a movie that I watched the first time because I bought it on DVD. Did not know who Elio Gold was. Did not know who Robert Altman was. Didn't know I anything about DVDs. it. I just bought the DVD because the cover of the... Like, I love the poster that is him walking yeah. out of the sea with the gun in his hand. But he doesn't even have a gun in that scene. Like, they just shot that picture for the poster, I think. Which is <laughs> fucking badass. But... <laughs> I picked it up because of the hard-boiled fucking synopsis at the back. I remember to this day that it said something like whatever, like a description of the plot, you know, like in pictures or whatever. And it said the Schwarzenegger was in it. And I was like, what a ripoff. You know, like back in the day that it's like, this movie is starring in like... Uh, is it... Every famous person we could think of. But like uh, the, 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 the end bit, whenever like the synopsis was like... And this is when Philip Marlowe learned that in L.A., if love means violence, friendship means murder. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, my wow, God. chef's wow. kiss. Wow. I was wow. like, it's a fucking 16 year old. And then I watched it. And the first time I watched like, I actually watched it two nights in a row because the first time I did not know what film noir was. Never seen <laughs> one. Didn't know what it was. So I watched it and I was like. I'm very interested, but I have no fucking idea what happened. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it again, and I was like, this is a really funny movie. <laughs> like, I didn't catch the, <laughs> the movie. The dialogue is fantastic. What is your least favorite thing about this movie? Ugh, Hemingway. <laughs> I Isn't mean, it I always he, your least favorite he serves, thing about anything? He serves a purpose, but I was just like, Ugh. You know? <laughs> like, I'm just my patience is gone. I'm just like when I think of how much of my fucking teens and twenties I spent giving over to worshiping morons like Hemingway. Uh, <laughs> in fairness, I never really liked Hemingway, but um, yeah, I don't know. I I started to find him a bit tiresome, especially in comparison to like at the party scene and stuff where you're just like shut up um in comparison to Elliot Gould I love how often Elliot Gould's character is in like a crowd as well where he's kind of there and you're like where's Elliot Gould it did kind of remind me of um the wedding scene in Little Murders as well (laughs) Donald Sutherland um Another guy I only knew as like an older actor and then going back and seeing him as younger characters and like films like these are great but um 
Yeah, I think I think it's it's that like I mean I have my issues with the female characters, but again like when you compare it to something like even the fucking uh, Kiss Me Deadly, it's light years ahead. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's 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 Hemingway. Uh, <laughs> what was your least favorite thing? Like uh, I probably agree with you in the in the sense that it's like it does its job, but it may be like a little bit too much. And also, it's like probably the only character that doesn't feel human in a way. Like he's yeah. like just doing it. You never see him sober kind of either. It's like yeah, like and it's also like it's always big. There's no like little moment mm. or whatever. But I do like his performance though, like the way that he shouts at the dog and stuff. It's like really, <laughs> and he's so big. Like fucking Elliot Gould yeah. is tall, and Sterling Hayden is fucking massive. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I did really enjoy it. It was funny as well. Um. I can't remember who they were interviewing in that uh, decade under the influence, but uh, they kept making direct comparisons with like 2003 movies, which is hilarious. And uh, the beautiful Innocent Times of 2003 in comparison to the 70s and how every movie that came out of this era felt tinged with like political or disaffection or like, you know, trying to highlight good or bad, like things that were going on in the country at the time and like the changing demographics and everything. But uh, which I find quite entertaining in comparison to like 2003. But uh, <laughs> and how they used to make original movies. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I had a good time. Good pick. Good, good, pick. good, good. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. So uh, where can they find us if they want to go back and listen to some of our other noir episodes or other 1970s movies? It's uh, They can find us on Dublin Digital Radio every second Monday. The back catalogue is on at, at the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud. You can find us on Twitter at The Rack Game, Facebook, The Recommendation Game, and The Recommendation Game at gmail.com is our email. And if you want to support Irish Independent Radio, please donate to the Patreon of Dublin Digital Radio. And uh, next week's film is Orla's pick. Uh, what is it? Yes, it is Agnes Farda's Faces Places. Because fuck the man, fuck Goddard, Agnes forever. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So until then, I was Orla Martinez, and I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week or the week after, whatever. Bye.